Hello and welcome. It's David and Brent again this week, Friday the 13th here in November. So hopefully the markets don't see a black cat in front of the Board of Trade building. But I guess no one goes there anymore. So maybe the risk of bad luck on February the 13th is diminished. We're doing the crop outlook. WASDE report came out, a lot of activity. So we're going to break down some of the stuff that we've seen and that we're thinking about and help you move through that. A lot of commentary. So Brent, here is the table straight out of the report. And the big number, of course, is yield coming down. A couple bushels started to tighten up the production side. And we're going to talk about this adjustment in yield. A lot of comments about how it was a historically big revision. I have some data to, to look at that a little bit. But overall, Brent, tighter uh, stock situation and better outlook here for the corn situation. Probably one of the biggest adjustments that I can remember in terms of magnitude you know, of the market kind of expecting not much and got a lot. And so in order of the shock of this report was quite large. And as you and I were talking earlier, the really, really interesting thing is that not only did they reduce the supply side, but also increased demand. I usually harp on the idea that when you see an increase in yield, they usually go ahead and increase demand. And when you see a decrease in yield, they usually decrease demand. In this case, not so much. Exports actually increased. So that, I think, is, is just really interesting and give a pretty strong indication that the world has changed a little bit, a, a lot of bit, actually. And We'll see that more as we go through. But you start looking at these stocks to use, just think about where we've been. 22% in May stocks to use. That's where we were at in May. And now we're at 11 and a half. Different world in terms of availability of product relative to demand. So it's just to me a really big change and really surprising. And I think puts us into different conversation than that would have been had we had we ended with what they had in May. So Brett, I want to re-emphasize the point you made. The USDA was working from both ends of the equation. They reduced production or availability and they increased usage. And there was a pretty strong relationship of an inversion there, right? The cure for higher prices is higher prices. The cure for lower prices is lower prices. That is a very strong trend. What we have to recognize here is they have been, this report especially, but we've seen a really significant sharp decline in production with strong usage coming in. That's been a positive story. The other thing we are pointing out is right now they're projecting a $4 average farm price. I forget, was it 310 or 320 this summer? I think it got to 320. 320. It's not a completely different environment. It's almost the exact opposite environment. It was very different. We're going to talk about the ending stocks a little bit later, but... I mean, just think think about that. That was a situation where the USDA is saying expect a 50 cent market PLC, price loss contract payment on corn, 370 minus 320, 50 cents, to now none. A huge, huge shift. And so it's it's wild. And it's interesting. David and I talked about, I can't remember when I talked about this on the video, but the cash market around the country had been very, very strong. Hate into this report. I mean, cash prices have leading the charge up. Futures prices were going up, but cash prices were going up even more. I think this is some reflection of that. It's a very interesting time. So we got to really stay connected, stay informed. If you slept for a month, you would not believe the movement of the market that we're at. 
Jeff wrapped up the forecast yields. And this is sort of a look back of in yellow where the USDA yield estimates were and green are the weekly projections that Jeff was putting together. And 177 is the trend line here. Interestingly, there's a big swing. So in August, that USDA report came in at 181.8, and now they're at 175.8. So a six bushel reduction, the extremes, the big side of the crop to the small side of the crop. We still have some unknowns about where this crop's going to go. We'll talk about that next. But just helping you remind yourself as to this is where corn was 320 when we had this 181 plus bushel crop. And now we've seen that walked lower and conditions have significantly changed. I think those yield estimates, you know, they're worth looking at. Uh, if you haven't dug into those, the green line or Jeff's forecast, and you can see they kind of were running higher than USDA. USDA kind of caught up with them. And then, you know, his models were saying, hey, crop is getting smaller, we think. And it did. So, you know, he had the direction right. And the ultimate forecast is not that far off of where we ended. You know, I was pretty happy with how those performed and and certainly gave us some indication of what was going on. I think these are really important project to help you ground your thinking. I was getting really caught up in the drought story and then the Iowa storm story, and you really start to confuse yourself. And this is a great model. You know, this is sort of a base rate. This is a flag in the ground that I can start to make adjustments higher or lower from. And this helps you improve your thinking as you navigate through. I saw several comments on social media and some hot takes about, oh, this corn yield revision is the biggest downward revision in 20 years. And that's a true statement. And I think it's lacking a lot of context. It's actually pretty common for a a two, it's not, I guess I should rephrase that. It's not uncommon for the USDA to make a two bushel or larger change in the November estimate relative to October. So it happened, and we looked at it to the upside and the downside. So it happened in 05, 06, and 17, and this year. So four out of the last 21 years, it's hard to say that, you know, this is an unprecedented move. And I think some people are trying to make that. It's worth noting there was a 3.6 bushel adjustment up in 2017. That was a pretty big adjustment. And that was much larger than what we had as an expected range going into that report. But now we have a little wider range because of the 2017. So I guess that statement is true, factually true, but it lacks context. So we have data, knowledge, insights, implications. So that's a true data point, a true sort of summary statistic, but it's not true in a broader context if you really think about it. And this drives home the point that we were talking about back in August, how much unknown is there? And this is the air. Given the forecast in November, how much is the November forecast off from the final, final number? And you know what? There's still a bushel or two of possible adjustments. We get sort of hyper-focused on half bushel or maybe a bushel adjustment, but it's pretty common for the November yield to be uh, maybe up to two bushels off. And so we're sharing this to help you calibrate your expectations. Don't be caught off guard if the USDA were to revise yields even again later in the year as they get more and more information. A lot of uncertainty. We've taken off the tails. We've lopped off the tails quite a bit, but that doesn't mean we can't see corn yields move higher or lower by a bushel or two. Just to reemphasize, if you look at this from October to final, historically, you know, we've seen a few cases where it's been well over two bushels. When we get in here, two bushels is looking like a pretty big adjustment from this last one. So they're narrowing in on their final number, we think. But there is still two bushels would make a big difference either way on that final number. So just keep that in mind. Here's a soybean situation, very similar. 
pulled yields lower, increased total usage by a tiny, tiny amount. We went from 4.516 to 4.519, so 3 million additional bushels of usage. So statistically not any different, but Again, this story, the USDA is working from both sides. They're increasing the expectations for usage as well as reducing the expectations for production. We found ourselves in a really tight ending stock situation. For context, 900 million bushels of ending stocks in the 2018-2019 marketing year. Now we're looking at 190 million. So this ending stocks use number starts to get really tight, much tighter than where we were uh, just a few years ago. So it's sort of mind-blowing how tight that's gotten. It's really interesting to me how the soybean numbers have really shrunk over the last few years. I mean, this is kind of a disaster, 900 million bushel carryover to now 190 saying that's tight. That is getting awfully tight for soybeans in the United States. So just completely flip the script. So don't be surprised. There'll be all these stories talking about weeks of supply. There's six weeks of supply in the pipeline. There's eight weeks of supply in the pipeline. We're starting to get to that end of the story. For context, 23% ending stocks to use. Now we're somewhere much, much lower. Do you remember earlier this year, they were talking about, remember those articles that came out and said, can, come on, can ag prices go negative? <laughs> yeah, we wrote an article. Right? We wrote an article trying about to this. tell people don't buy into that nonsense, but we certainly <laughs> did not. It's just really interesting how much it's flipped. So recapping a little bit the Jeff's yield estimates here for soybeans. Interestingly, the USDA is still above where Jeff's models were coming in. But again, Jeff caught up some of this directionality and the difference. Those yield forecasts were suggesting an upward movement was possible in July. And then notice the crop was getting smaller into September, October. Soybeans still, again, have a lot of, still a lot of uncertainty. Again, we had a, a, a bushel, a little more than a bushel of adjustment in this November estimate relative to last month, it's actually a bushel adjustments, pretty darn common. It's another case where you could say it's the largest downward revision in USDA yield estimates for the month of November in 2020. That's a true statement, but it lacks context. Several times USDA has made a bushel or larger adjustments. Again, also don't be surprised if there's another half a bushel or a bushel adjustment to occur here in soybeans as it's still a possibility as there's still some unknowns as they move through the rest of the year. So we can still see this adjust some more, just keep that in mind. So Brent, I'm going to talk about the ending stock situation. You alluded to this. So back in May, we were looking at 23% ending stocks for corn, which was going to be really, really burdensome. That's sort of crude prices have just went negative. We were thinking about a 96, 97 million acres of corn being planted and the trend yield. I mean, we were looking at 23% ending stocks with something as a normal yield, not even a big crop. It looks certainly burdensome. So the blue line are actual ending stocks with the most current estimate. It's We're at the lowest stock levels for corn going back till 2013, 2014. So the lowest in about six years of data. Also plotted on this chart, these are going to be articles we have up for you first thing next week. The projections that we had in May, that May was the first flag in the ground for that marketing year. We've made some big adjustments. So every May, sort of, we have a range of possible outcomes. And we've been lucky the last few years where we've come in on the left side of that distribution, right? We've managed to pull off something that didn't seem super likely, but a combination of factors have played out. 
that pulled it to the favorable side of the distribution. We talked about those distributions a lot. We should look back at that, Brent, and see really where <laughs> we can actually tell you how probable this type of an outcome was based on history. And it was a pretty low probability event. It's one of those things. I think a lot of people now are questioning, well, I screwed up. I made a bad decision. I sold grain earlier. And I think, again, we always want to evaluate those decisions in the context of the information we had at the time. When this is the information you have, that implies a very different market than this. And the deal is, it was really hard to know that this was going to occur as, a, as opposed to lots of stocks. So as you go back and evaluate your decisions and your forecast, really focus on thinking about, okay, what was the information I had at the time? Did I make a good decision or a bad decision? Don't focus as much on the outcome and then you can adjust your process so you do better the next time. But there's always going to be an element of uncertainty. I mean, things we can't know. I mean, we just don't know all these things at the time we're making those decisions. Also plotted here, the the soybean situation. Soybeans, of course, were at 20 plus percent last year. So this year was the big adjustment for corn. Last year was the big adjustment to the positive side for soybeans. Provide some context for this sub 5% ending stock situation for soybeans. It's tight. We were tighter in 2012 and 2013, but we're getting the lower side of this. So it's going to set the stage for a healthy acreage debate coming into 2021. And the thing I don't want anyone to lose sight of is the U.S. planted fewer acres of corn and soybeans than normal because of a large prevent plant here in 2020. There was a bigger prevent plant last year, but the factory in the U.S. did not produce anywhere near what I think we would call average, right? We have trend yields, but the factory planted fewer acres. That's going to be important for the next year is there's going to get some production relief. Next year, on average, we'll have more production. Wheat, uh, I know a few of you like to follow wheat. Wheat has been on a downward trend in stocks as well. Not as much improvement from the May outlook. There's a lot of knowns in the month of May for wheat relative to the other crops. But you can mm -hmm. see the situation where wheat is also starting to get somewhere near six-year lows in ending stocks. It's still a big number, but it's starting to turn uh, lower. Another article we'll have for you next week is global stocks. Taking a quick look at a couple of charts here if you're following us on the video the main story here is for corn and soybean stocks globally have been contracting the last few years. This isn't just a U.S. story. It's a global story as well. Corn and soybean stocks, corn stocks globally are still pretty, uh, I guess, sufficient. The soybean stock situation is a little, a little tighter. If you remove the China element, so this idea of China's not really exporting corn and soybeans, they're mainly a consumer. So how much is available to the market for trade or use? And it gets a little bit tighter, especially for corn and soybeans, and also a little bit for wheat. The global story, I mean, it just kind of confirms the U.S. story even more. And the soybean number, I think, is the one that is really going to be worth paying attention to. Uh, we're getting really pretty tight globally on soybeans. And so that one is really, really interesting. And corn as well. I mean, even with China in there, the trend is pretty clear. It's downward. You take the China numbers out, you know, we're getting back in that kind of global scenario that's starting to look more like the early 2010s as opposed to what we've seen last few years. So again, looking much more attractive. A few thoughts to leave you with. 
uncertainty still remains. I want to mention this again. There's still yield adjustments that are possible. There are huge questions this fall about usage. I think there's probably more uncertainty around usage this fall than a normal fall. We have, of course, ethanol usage and then trade. What's going on with the China situation? What will China buy? How much will China buy this purchase season? How much will they buy next purchase season? What's going to happen in the interim in between those two points in light of a new administration, a new set of policies with respect to trade? Lots of uncertainty there. And I and I think the biggest one is on the ethanol one right now. What is going to happen with the renewable fuel standard now as the Trump administration leaves? What will they do with the renewable fuel standard? And what will the implied ethanol demand be? That's the one I think there's a little bit of a cloud over the trade side. I think China is probably going to be a preactive buyer because I think they're going to need stuff. They basically bought Brazil out of soybeans last year, and we didn't have a huge crop as they might have expected. So soybeans are awfully tight. They're probably going to have to come to the U.S. for soybeans. So it's going to be really interesting. The, the one to me, the biggest question though right now is on the ethanol, and so much of that is policy-driven but as well as fuel demand, because it's really starting to feel like the general economy, and Dave and I were talking about this earlier, the general economy just feels to me like it's setting up for another big slowdown. We've had a lot of positive news. Uh, The economy really did kind of recover. I think it was headed in the right direction, and now we're just seeing enough of the virus coming back, probably pretty hard before the vaccine gets here. The vaccine's great news. Don't get me wrong. But when you see a state like Nebraska start to put restrictions in place on restaurants and gatherings and other things, which I think our governor have been pretty reluctant to push that very hard when we're doing it, it's a pretty good indication that things are really slowing down or likely to slow down. Less activity means less gas consumed. Less gas consumed means it's going to be a challenge for the ethanol side. And then you add on top of that, the policy decisions. I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the current administration and what happens as their exit strategy and then what happens with the new administration as they come on board. And oh, by the way, the arguments between renewable fuels and conventional oil are still going to be there next year. That pressure on that industry, there's a short run and a long run story. And all of those are uncertainty and not a lot of optimism for those markets for growth into the future. A lot of question too, are we going to get another stimulus package anytime soon? I mean, there there are a lot, a lot of uncertainties right now. But at the end of the day, the ag economy is a completely different picture than it was three months ago. And that's good news because the picture then was not very good. And, you know, we were looking at, well, we need $30 billion of government payments, almost 40, probably going to be over 40 to kind of stabilize to now a situation where things are looking much better going forward. But as somebody told me, a lot of the problems that have been dealt with in the last four years in ag were the result of decisions made in 11, 12, 13, probably 14. And so let's not redo those same mistakes. And now is an opportunity, I think, to stabilize things, uh, take advantage of this situation. I guess one way to think about this, Brent and I were talking about this the other day. If you are a producer or you know producers who were losing sleep at night in May and June because their risk management plan was not comprehensive enough to cover the range of bottom side outcomes we saw in May and April when 
and ethanol plants weren't making bids. It wasn't that the basis got destroyed. They just weren't bidding for corn. Now might be an opportunity to reevaluate your situation, your risk management plans, your risk preferences, and shore up some of that. So this is a, a great opportunity. And so we need to really think about that. And I want to make one quick point. And Brent and I have talked about this before. We're going to measure this and we'll write an article for you to look at this. How have things improved so much since May, right? What levers got pulled to result in this? And there's a combination of things and everything went in sort of a favorable direction for higher prices. But what were the biggest players? And one of the things that folks aren't thinking a lot about is the prevent plant situation. And Mother Nature next year is going to roll the dice again. And big prevent plant outcomes are a low probability event. So the factory is probably going to be a little bit bigger next year. And we still have the yield uncertainty. So my point to this is that we probably won't see production as low as it is next year. All else equal, right? It's unlikely to see another big prevent plant situation, but we'll see how that plays out. But keep that in mind is we're not in a scenario where we're having record crops and big acreage and we're still having low ending stocks, which was kind of the case during the boom years, big production and big demand. We have big demand and some tight production and that's leading us to tight ending stocks. Right. At the same time, you know, the fuel is going to be there in the case that there are production problems, there's going to be potential for a lot of upside. I mean, the, the fuel is there. As you said, lower probability outcome to have big prevent plant acres, uh, especially given how dry it is, but maybe some potential for production problems due to weather, but still so far ahead. Lots of uncertainty that'll get resolved over time. And that's always the case. So if you want to talk about some crazy high commodity prices, step one are tight beginning stocks. Step two is a huge production hiccup. So Brent's point is that you might have the first condition. You might have step one going the right direction. And we actually saw the opposite of that two years ago. If we would have had current tight ending stocks with this record high prevent plant of 2019, you would have saw mm -hmm. this really explosive commodity market environment. But we didn't. We had sort of a trade war and we had a lot of uncertainty. And actually, it wasn't a lot of uncertainty. China just wasn't buying. And that wasn't right. a lot of usage. And we didn't see the market really pop. We sort of a fizzle. And so I guess that's the main point here is you're putting some wood out there. Now the next step is getting the fire started. And that's the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. It might Our, get rained on. <laughs> a lot can happen. We have new forecast network questions. Thinking about the next year crop, the probability of corn getting the new crop contract 2021 getting above 425. Brent told me no problem. It's going to get there really easily. So get in there, get your forecast. He was telling me I made the line a little, little too low on that one. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. It's a lot. It's, it's a long time, but will we get a 25 cent rally in this corn market? It's kind of an open question, sort of an interesting one. So a lot of questions there about commodity prices. So get in there. Finally, Escaping 1980, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, episodes one and two are out there. Next week will be three. And again, a lot of fun to put that together. And the question we always get is, are current conditions like the 1980s? Great question, hard answer. And we walk you through why that's a hard answer. Yeah, check it out. It was fun to put together. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Stay curious. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,